Well, it's, uh, this is part two in the blessing. If you remember, we started in the first of the year in the book of Genesis, and then I wanted to take a pause because so many things were happening in our world um, that I wanted to address directly, mainly how we get ourselves positioned to be in the blessing of God. How we live in this world that is challenging our faith as really never before in so many ways. How do we find wealth, prosperity, power, favor, all those things in the middle of conflict? See, we live every day of our life in some level of conflict with the world and the flesh and the devil. And sometimes we go like, how do I navigate in this? I'm a Christian, I love God, but how do I make this work for me? I hear it work for other people, how do I make it work for me? And so we're gonna try to be really practical, kind of give you some stuff that, that'll bring it down, but also address what's happening in our world today. You know, some people say, well, you know, uh, I don't like politics, or I don't like you addressing cultural issues or things like that, and, and, uh, and actually, it's not people in this church, it's just people outside that say that. But, but I said, but do you realize that's what the Bible's all about? Do you realize from day one, there was a conflict, first of all, spiritual, and then it became with world leaders. In fact, the Bible is one of the most political books in the world. Because on every corner, you've got a prophet or the people of God or the son of God who's confronting, whether it's the, the imperial powers of Rome, whether it's Babylon, whether it's Medo-Persia or Assyria, uh, and you see all of this going on constantly happening in the Bible. And so there's always this tension where the prophet of God, for example, comes to David and confronts him on his sin. Or you see where Daniel refuses to bow his knee to the false god of Babylon. See, this is constantly going on, and people who don't know their Bible will say, well, why don't you just stick to the gospel? Well, if all I do is stick to the gospel, it's really simple. The gospel is Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. If that's the only message you want, you're in the ABC level of spirituality. Because that's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. And we have to prepare each other, we have to prepare ourselves for whatever conflicts come in our life. You know, we're in training, amen? We're in spiritual training for what God has for us. Here's one thing uh, I've learned is that every problem that we face is ultimately a wisdom problem. When you find a problem and you react to it, you probably are not acting with wisdom. You have to stop long enough and say, what is the wisdom of God in this situation? Not what do I think, not as what does culture dictate, not what do my friends think, what does wisdom tell me in this situation? The next thing is an uncontested enemy will flourish. Whether that enemy is in your soul, in your mind, in your community, in your world, whether it's spiritual, physical, emotional, or any other way, if you don't contest it, if you don't come against that enemy, and remember, enemy is anything or anyone that takes you away from faith in God. So it can be your, it can be your friend who just says, no, I, I just, man, I tried that trust in God thing and that didn't work. That's an enemy. Now, it's not that you hate that person, but you hate that message that d diminishes your faith in the true God. 
Because ultimately, whatever is not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. So if I'm not walking in faith, then I'm walking in sin. And you say, well, that's a little cut and dry. Well, it's the Bible. I mean, I blame him. Right? I'm the messenger. And then next, we're called to engage this world with supernatural ability and manifest God's kingdom. You see, it can't be about us. If it's about us, we lose. It's about the power you have, we lose. It has to be about the power in you. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the more that we allow the Spirit of God to fill us, work through us, the more successful we are in life. And I use the word successful in in the broadest sense of the term. I'm not trying to talk about financial here. I'm talking about in the broadest sense of the term, you are successful. That means you engage culture, and if you don't win in that moment, you still feel successful because you, you manifest the presence of God and the power of God in that situation. You see, success doesn't always mean you win. It means you always try. If you don't try, you lose. Well, what if they don't like me? They don't like you anyway. Just. <laughs> I used to tell my dad, I'd say, well, I'm, for, I, I'm worried about what people think about me. They said, they don't think about you ever. <laughs> you want to boost a kid's ego, that's what you tell them. But if you want to destroy a kid's ego, you say, well, yeah, you need to be concerned about what everybody thinks. I won't go on. I could think of a million things here, but let me say this. We're in a battle. Not a cultural battle of nouns and pronouns. Not a battle of creepy clothing at Target or awards given to anti-Christian hate groups at Dodger Stadium. We're in a battle. Not a battle of those who promote radical agendas for LGBT community. We are in an all-out religious war like never before. If you haven't understood what's really happening, I mean, look around. This is not about just trying to promote one group over another group. This is about the destruction of your faith. It's about the, the breaking apart of family. It's about looking into what you value most and disregarding it on every hand. You know, and it, sooner or later you come to the place where you say, well, can I buy from anybody? <laughs> right? I mean, have you, you had those thoughts? Like, is there anybody who's not pushing this right now? Well, that all-out religious war has been launched by corporate America, which seems odd because there was a day when corporate America was about making profit and keeping shareholders happy. Now that seems to be way down on the list. You see, you're going to need to follow God or the demonic machine. This call has happened all through Scripture. This is not a new call. This is not an unusual call. When, when Joshua was there and, and they were getting ready to cross into the promised land, he said, choose you this day who you will serve, either the gods beyond the river or the Lord. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
You see, this has been the call, the clarion call that has been given by prophet after prophet throughout the word of God, that you have to make a decision. You can't straddle the fence on this one. And the, the day of straddling is becoming less and less. The fence is getting higher. And if you understand that metaphor, you know that's a problem. You see, the demonic machine wages for your very soul. It's after your soul. There's always been true religion, false religion. People say, well, I want to study these false religions. That's fine, but they're all the same. It's God is not true, God is wrong, and we're right. That's what false religion is. And whether it manifests itself in one degree or another degree, it's still the same thing. You see, it's always, every battle is ultimately good and evil. People say, well, are you for this group or that group. Well, if you're a human being, you have to, be, you have to realize that, that all of society is broken down, really broken down into two kind of people. I'm just talking on a natural level. Decent people and people that aren't decent. See, I can respect someone who disagrees with me, follows a different belief than me, has a different behavior than me, but not to the detriment of me, society, or my children. That's the difference. You see, the battle did not begin in our day, but it began in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve and led them into rebellion against the true and the living God. The temptation was not to fall in the gutter and destroy yourself. The temptation was to be God. He said, man, don't you want to be God? And, and the idea is that the temptation in the dark heart of fallen mankind is what we're dealing with all the time. How many times have you as a Christian looked at your life and go, man, I can't believe I did that again or said that again or thought that again? You see, even with Christ, you're wrestling in a world because you're, you're still a fallen creature who has been redeemed, but you're still dealing with the, the evidence and the fallenness of humanity. That's why you struggle. And what the enemy wants to do is when you struggle and fail, he wants to try to accuse you of not being worthy to be named a Christian. This is what happens. He's the accuser of the brethren. He said, I thought you were a Christian. If you're a Christian, when you, why, why do you do that? Why would you say that? Why, 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 why? And you're going, yeah, you're right. I'm a lousy Christian. I don't even need to try anymore. What good is it? If you're feeling that, I want you to, I want you to understand this real quick. God saved you, redeemed you, and loves you, and will never cast you out. You say, well, pastor, you don't know what, what I've done. I've had people tell me that before, and they'll tell me, and I go, you're an amateur. I've got three or four guys in here that can 2X you. But you see, you got to remember that the goal is not to stay where you are. The goal is to grow closer and closer to the Lord in your personal holiness and responsibility, but never to feel like you're not in the family. You see, or you're not worthy. If God loved us when we were enemies, Romans 5 says, how much more does he love us now as sons and daughters? Let Think of that. If he loved you as an enemy and now you came into the kingdom, how does he love you now? More, that's the answer, amen? You see, the temptation that comes to us is a temptation to go in the wrong direction. And what we hear today is that man created in the image of God is not acceptable. 
So what we want to do is we want to change man. We want to transgender society, which is really a form of transhumanism, which we're going to deal with in Genesis chapter 6 when we get to that point, a couple of years. <laughs> but so man created as he is is not good. God said, I created man in my image, male and female. He created them in the image of God. said, no, that's not acceptable. That doesn't work anymore. We're smarter than God. Hmm. They claim superiority over those who love God. It is a movement that exalts pride. Pride in what? This is Pride Month, according to some. What are you proud of? What's the root of pride? The exaltation of one ideology over another? That doesn't sound very loving. Let's have a, a, a pride month for men. I'd like everybody to think I was special. How about a pride month for Dutch people? I'm Dutch. I don't get any respect. There's no Dutch good, no good Dutch food. You want to torture a kid, you give him a Dutch rub on the head? Going Dutch, you're a cheapo? I mean, I got nothing. I'm just saying. I'll remind you what pride does for you. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God in due season, he will lift you up. I will remind you in Job chapter 41, it says of Satan that he is the king over all the children of pride. I'm just quoting scripture. Target, the poster child for the movement, has experienced widespread uh, backlash over pride merchandise. Target's market value has fallen over $13 billion. They've been downgraded by Morgan Stanley. If I just want to remind you all that we're in a boycott of Target for at least 30 days. You say, my Target, what do I do? I caught Pastor Nate over at Ralph's the other day. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I can't shop at Target, so I'm over here. <laughs> I said, you'll be fine. It'll be okay. You see that market falling and the value falling is good, but money is not the goal of these corporations. I realized, because people say, this is not good business. Good business says do sell as much stuff as you can for as much profit as you can. Get a lot more shareholders, drive the price up, up and to the right on the, go, on the, gold, uh, on the graph, and then, then you're successful. That doesn't seem to matter anymore. And I'm sitting back scratching my head like you are going, this doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. There must be something else going on. You see, the out-of-touch elites who sit on boards that make these decisions that are out of touch with you and I, their aim is to destroy Christianity and reshape the world. And it's not the first time it's been tried. Why, in Noah's day, God could only find eight righteous people. He flooded the world and started over. He placed a rainbow in the sky as a reminder to fear God, not be proud, 
and keep his commandments. Not do evil, but do good. Why, Pharaoh thought he could control God's people until his economic system was destroyed by 10 plagues. And then they begged Israel to get out of town, and they gave him gold and silver and jewels to leave. Why, Ahab and Jezebel set up altars to pagan gods. They killed the prophets. They sacrificed children on the altar of Baal until their economic system was destroyed. Elijah the prophet declared it would not rain for three days. They thought he was a crazy prophet until three years later it hadn't rained. He declared it would not rain, and, and the economic system began to fall apart because hunger, famine, and crime increased, and they were powerless against the hand of God and the prophet of God. We are in a battle. It's a religious battle. It's a battle for good and evil. It's a battle that's going to really determine what the next 10 years looks like. I got good news for you. There's a promise for those of you who love the Lord. And now I'm going to talk about the promises. In Psalm 112, 1 through 3, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed means happy, favored, taken care of when you fear God, who greatly delights in his commandments. And look what it says. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. I was just listening to uh, Dennis Prager the other day, and he was giving an example of someone who, they had 13 children in their household. Now, I want you to think about what vehicle transports that. <laughs> it's like Blinky's fun bus, right? I mean, 13 children. And he said, but, uh, but they made a decision, and he has, he, he, the, the man is a professor at a junior college, which means he's probably not making a million dollars a year. But they made a decision. The value, the value of children was, was a higher value than economic prosperity. See, a lot of people say, well, I can't afford to have any more children. Well, that's fine. That's a choice, but that's a value. You see what I'm saying? It's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad value. I'm just saying that's your value. If you say my value is to have 13 children, then that value means you're also going to run things a little thinner on the economic side, amen? But they're values. And you have to live your life by values. You have to say what's important to us. Where do we put our time and our money and our effort and all of those other things in life so that we live by values, we don't live by emotions. We don't react in culture. We say, no, this is important. And because this is important, this is what I'm going to do. You know, just giving to the church is a value. You look at it and you go, I, I find value in that. I found value in, in propelling, you know, the work of the kingdom forward. That's a value. Some people say, I don't have that value. I have a value in buying a new car. Well, that's your value. Just accept it what it is. And when we start to frame our life around values and then around convictions, you see, you have to have a conviction that your, your convictions have to be more powerful than your job and your family. Now, let me explain that. That might sound detrimental to the family. It's not. 
If my conviction is that God is going to take care of this family and I'm gonna walk in truth and righteousness, then I'm equipped to love my family. If I put my family first and my conviction second, I'm in trouble. Because now it doesn't matter what my family does. It doesn't matter what my children want. My convictions drive my family values. You have to have strong biblical convictions in order to live out your life. You have to have values to live out your life. You need to take a a pen sometimes and a piece of paper or do it on your computer and just write down, what are my values? What are the things that I think are important in my life? You know, you might say, well, flexibility is is a value. I want a job that I have flexibility in. That's fine. That's a value. I have a value that I want to live close to my work and not commute an hour a day. That's a value. That's an important thing. And what you do is you begin to get this list together and you step back and you look at it and you go, wow, I didn't know that's where I stood on all those things. Then you start to layer convictions in. What is it from the word of God that I understand I should do as a believer in Jesus Christ? You see, if you're going to be blessed, you have to do these these simple little exercises to get you to that place. And here's what it says, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. You know, the amazing thing about the word of God, and and it plays out in life, is that when I live my life by convictions and values of the word of God, all the money issues become secondary. It doesn't mean you don't have tight months. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. It doesn't mean you don't try to figure out how do I make more money or do I start a second business or what do I do? It doesn't mean that. It just means ultimately your value drives you back. I believe that God is gonna take care of me. You see, I have to go there. If I don't, I leave God out of the picture. I stop supporting the kingdom of God and the work of God around the world and I live by my accounting system, the world system versus the God system. This is what's important. So understand this. There are unclaimed blessings that God has for you. I read this in one of Bruce Wilkerson's book. He said, if you don't ask for his blessings, you forfeit those that come to you only when you ask. In the same way that a father is honored to have a child beg for his blessing, your father is delighted to respond generously when his blessings uh, is what you covet most. You get to the place to God, God, this, I need to be blessed in this way. God says, I'm gonna honor that. If it's a righteous and a good thing and doesn't violate biblical principles, that blessing God wants to answer to you. You know, the, the, Jesus said, what child, what father will give his child a snake if he asks for bread? You see, God wants to bless. They're, un, they're just un, unreceived blessings. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He's waiting on you. He waits to be gracious to you who expect and look and long for him. God says, will you, will you just expect me to do something? Will you look for me and will you long for me? Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, when you think of rich, you think of your bank account, don't you? It's kind of normal, you know, you think, well, that's rich. Let me ask you something, how rich are you if you have a community of people who will pray for you? 
How rich is that? What, what's the economic value of that one versus you don't have that? How rich are you if you know that God is on your side, is not gonna cast you out, and God loves you regardless? What's the economic value of that one? How rich are you if you have health? How rich are you if you have freedom? And everything, because in society we're kind of driven to this one idea of what richness is, we miss out on everything else. You see, we multiply in our life through generosity. My, my daughter said to me the other day, she said, you know, women multiply everything. I said, okay, well, I'm ready. What does that mean? She said, well, like, you know, if you, if you love them, they will multiply more love back to you. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I agree. But if you, if you give them grief, they're going to multiply that grief. <laughs> I said, you know, I think you may be onto something here. Right? But you see, God, it, when God works in Scripture, he doesn't work so much by addition as he works by multiplication. When you see a promise in a parable, he says, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna multiply that 10, 20, 60-fold. He's multiplying things. So look what Proverbs chapter three and verse nine says. Honor, Lord, uh, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. It's pretty simple. How about Luke chapter 6, 38? Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will put into your bosom. For with the same you measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So this is the law of sowing and reaping. So when I give, I get back that much or more. If I give love, I get that much back or more. People say, well, don't you think when you give financially uh, that you're, you're gonna, God's gonna bless you in other ways? He will bless you in other ways, but he'll always bless you back financially. Really? If I don't believe that, I don't believe the Bible. Because everything reproduces after its kind. Let's see how good of farmers you are. If I plant wheat, what do I get? Not very many farmers in the house. If I plant wheat, how much, what do I get back? Corn? Watermelons? To see, this is the law of the harvest. Okay, so now think about how this doesn't work. I plant money, I give money, and I get back wheat. That might be the case, but the wheat that I get, I sell. You see how this works? So God promises increase in your life, but the increase will always translate it back into what you needed. You see, sometimes the way that God brings favor and blessing on you is he lets your car go longer and longer than it should. I know people have new cars, they're always breaking down. I always ask them, are you tithing? Man, you, you got too much luck. You got, you know, if it wasn't for bad luck, you'd have no luck at all, right? I remember when we were first married, we had, a, we had a Grand Prix. It was really nice. 350, four barrel. You get out there on the poncha train going across the lake there in New Orleans, and it would go fast. I won't tell you how fast, but it would go fast. And I remember uh, there was an old guy, he was a true redneck. You know, if you've ever met a true redneck from South Louisiana, you know what I'm talking about. 
And he said, preacher, he never called me by my name, preacher. How the brakes on that car? You go pretty fast. I said, I don't know. I said, how many miles you got? And I said, I don't know, like 60 or 70,000. He said, how many times you change the brakes? I said, I never have. They're original brakes. He gave me that look. He, jack- he said, I'm coming over tomorrow. We're going to look. He jacked up the car, looked at it. He said, how many miles in this car? And I went and looked inside. Yeah, like 65,000. He said, well, these brakes are only half down. He said, how do you explain that? I said, I just explained the blessings of God. I don't know how it works. I don't have to know how things work in order to enjoy them. I don't understand electricity. But I'm not going to sit in the dark till I do. I'm kind of afraid of electricity. You know, I let my wife change the light bulbs. I don't know what's going on up there. I get shocked or something happened up there. I don't know. But you see, you don't have to understand how the kingdom of God works for, in order to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. This is what I'm trying to say. I don't know how prayer works. I don't get it. This seems too simple to me. Whatsoever things you ask, believe that you will receive them and that they shall be yours. That's too simple. I want like diagrams and detailed explanations of this whole thing. And God says, no, this is just how it works. Walk by faith. You see, faith is the one thing that you can't, you can't do anything to push it along. You just have to trust, and you have to wait, and it's frustrating, amen? It is for us. Faith is frustrating, but what's happening in the frustration is the development of your inner person in the spiritual sense of the word. You're growing spiritually into a person who can now look and say, I know what it means to trust God on this level, and God will keep pushing you to another level so that you become more and more mature in your faith. That's, what, that's the goal, to shape you into the image of the invisible God. Look at Psalm 35, verse 27. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of a servant. God loves it when you get ahead in life. How about that? God loves it. You know, if you own a home in California, you probably experience a little bit of prosperity. You may not have any more money than you had before, but your house is worth twice as much as it was when you bought it. You know, I've got people, we know people in this church that moved to other places, and they've been living there five years, and their value still hasn't gone up in their house. Well, this is just a unique place. We got Louis Vuitton gasoline. They charge you more for the same gas. Louis Vuitton taxes. We got weather taxes and everything else. It's really the place where you can pray more. I I, I got to thinking about this. Why is it that more revivals and spiritual awakenings have birthed out of California and other places? And I think it's just because of the crooked politicians we've had all along. We We just have to pray harder than everybody else. Amen? Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, God is a rewarder of God. You see, how many of you talk to yourself? Just raise your hand. You talk to yourself? I do. I mean, I can have full-on conversations for days. Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand for anything. They'll think I'm a charismatic. Now, just how many of you talk to yourself sometime? Raise your hand. See, some of you came along. Now, what do you say to you? This is what the key, this is what the key is. What do you say to you that nobody else hears? 
The words of your mouth, whether they're uttered or they're thought, are connected to your, the speech center of your nervous system, and they're gonna affect the way you live out your life. So if you're talking to yourself like, well, I'm such a loser, your nerves go, loser, loser. And what you're doing is you're taking yourself down versus then positioning yourself the way that God's watched you positioned for the future. You say, well, what, what am I supposed to do, lie to me? Yes. It's less detrimental than, than beating yourself up. You get up in the morning and go, man, I am doing great as you limp to the bathroom. God has put a spring in my step. Slinky. You know, you, you just you start talking the right things. God is, God, you are with me and you're going to prosper me. God, this is going to be a day, a great day for me. You start saying the right stuff. You say, whether you believe it, think it, or whatever. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I'm telling you, this works. You got a business, you go like, wow, the numbers are down right now, but I believe there's a turnaround coming. I believe this that I played catch up long enough, now I'm going to see the reward of what I've been doing. You start speaking life into your business, into your family, into you, and you just live your life with, with, with a life principle. This is how you are blessed in life. You see, faith is something that happens in the future, Right? I'm believing God for something, and what it does is it's my faith is throwing that thing in front of me so that I walk into it. That's what faith is. You see, discouragement is something that's behind me and is always trying to pull me back. I can't get forward. I never get ahead. There's a guy in our neighborhood who walks around the block every day backwards. I researched this. Now, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I was... I just want to talk out loud about it. And I tell my wife, every time I say, why does he walk back? She says, I don't know. Well, that's not acceptable. So I start researching. Is there any value in walking backwards physically? No value. No value in doing this, except you don't know where you're going. That's the only thing I can see. I'm doing it because I don't know where I'm going. Can I ask you spiritually, are you walking backwards? You're making good progress, but you don't know where you're going and you're going in the wrong direction. If you're walking this way, at least you're making forward progress and you're seeing where you're going. You have sometimes it's just a mindset change. All you have to do is change your mindset into the mindset of the scriptures. I mean, you know the whole positive thinking phenomena that happened probably 100 years ago? You know where it came from? All those great books were written based on the word of God. It's just the word of God. It's just truth is truth. And you can reconfigure it and you can put it in different ways, but truth is still truth. God is for me. God is not against me. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. In all labor, there is profit. That's what Proverbs says. If you're not laboring, you're not gonna profit. I'm just saying, shift the way you think. Just right now, just say, I want to shift the way I'm thinking. Let's try it again. I Shift the way I'm thinking. All right? You want to think in the right way. So let me take you to 1 Chronicles 4.10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. 
This, this little story of Jabez is so phenomenal because it's just like only mentioned here, really. And it does, you don't know anything about him other than he called on the God of Israel. And here's what he said. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. What would happen if you would take this or some version of this that you wrote down and prayed every day? God, I just pray that you would bless me. Enlarge my territory. In other words, give me more responsibility. Give me more success in what I'm doing. That your hand would be with me. That your hand would be with me. And that you would keep me from evil. Now look at it. Here's what he prayed. God, that you would bless me, enlarge my territory, your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, and that I might not cause pain. So none of these things can be at the expense of somebody else. You see how that works? This is something that brings value back to everybody. And then I love this. And God granted what he requested. God goes, okay. You don't get, you, you miss out on 100% of what you don't ask for. I know people, Tammy and I laugh about this all the time. There are people that just, they seem to get everything, but they ask. They just ask. Why don't you ask? You ever heard this line, it's more blessed to give than receive? Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Because receiving puts you in a position of want and dependency, right? So God says, I want you to be blessed, so I want you to ask, because I want to be exalted. I want to be your God, and I want you to receive. Just ask, receive, ask, receive. What do you need to see God do? You know, I noticed that there's some things here. There was an urgency about what Jabez prayed. It was urgent. It's like, this is not like, not minor league stuff. This is real stuff. And then there was an expectation or a vision of what God would do. Could you look down the quarters of time and see your children's children, children? Okay, let's just do that, right? That's great-grandchildren if I did it right. Okay? And I could see, not, I see my children. I now see my grandchildren. But now what about my great-grandchildren? And if I could see them walking with God, if I could see them successful, if I could see them kind, if I could see them loving their neighbor and loving their, their country and loving people and, and living a sacrificial life, then I ask myself this, what do I need to do to affect my children's children's children? Instead of taking care of me and my children and my grandchildren, I wanna go another step. Because the, the blessings of God says it comes to a thousand generations of those who love him. So I'm not, just, I'm not just blowing smoke here. I'm telling you, this is what God says he wants to do. Not just four or five generations, a thousand generations into the future. How could I bless them? The way you live your life today. The way you pray today. The way you model out Jesus Christ in, in your life. The way that you live sacrificially. The way that you 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 pray, the way that you give hope and joy, the way that you speak to yourself. 
So we began with this question. We're in a battle. Do you want to win it? Do you want to win the battle? Uh, you want to lose the battle? Dumb question, right? No, it's a really good question because if you say, yes, I want to win it, then that sets up what you're going to do. If you say, I'm not ready to answer it, then you've already answered it. See, there is no, there is no neutral country in this situation. You're either for God, you're not for God. You're living for God, you're not living for God. There's more joy in just living and loving him, amen? Amen? Stand with me right now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray the blessings of a thousand generations over every person in this room. I pray, God, that you will enrich every single family, their children, their children's children, for generations to come. But I know, Father, that that promise comes with a condition, that we will seek the Lord, we will serve the Lord, we will honor the Lord in what we do. I want to ask you right now, we're just going to bow our heads right now. It's a little bit different ask than I normally make. I want to ask you right now, if, if you say, Pastor, that's what I want to do. I want to get on path. I'm not saying I'm on path. I want to get on the track to bless generations to come with my life. Would you just raise your hand? Just slip your hand up. And just, it's, it's not that anybody's looking. I'm not looking to see who's got their hand up. I'm just saying that sometimes we need to go on record before God and say, God, that's what I want to do. All right, thank you so much. And I'm not saying that you, you figured it out, okay? I'm not saying that you're not gonna slip up. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if the desire of your heart is to go in that direction, then start aiming in that direction, amen? Amen? Let me ask you this. How many of you would, in your heart would say, you know, I'm not sure I know the Lord, but I'd like to know him today. I'd like to give an invitation for everyone who's here to believe, whether you're in this room or outside or watching on live stream. If you'd pray a prayer like this one, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a tomb according to scriptures, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And right now, by faith, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. If that was your prayer, just thank him in your own words. Just thank you, Lord, for saving my eternal soul. And then give him the glory, give him the praise.